And in the interest of time, I'm not going to give uh, the introduction I was planning on giving. I'm just going to say that John enters a new section of this letter today. And in this section of the letter, he introduces the concept of spiritual battle. He's been talking, you know, the purpose of the letter is to talk about the fellowship he wants to have with us. You remember this, do you not? From the first couple of weeks we've studied. Fellowship is not coffee and donuts. Fellowship is the intimate connection we have with him and with one another. It's where the life is. The life is in the connection. We're created in the image of a a God who calls himself Father, Son, and Spirit. And we're, we're created to have connection. The life is in the connection with him. John said, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. And we are, we are praying that you will have fellowship with us and with him. And with our triune God. And if you do, then our joy will be full. But the enemy is always trying to destroy that fellowship. It's that fellowship that shows the world that there's something more than the mess they've been living in. If we, if we live in the same mess in here and they see it, which the history of the church has been, that that's what they see. They see all the division and all the arguing and they think about church meetings and what happens at church meetings. And they see that the divorce rate is the same inside the church as out. You, you know the drill. If they don't see that intimate communion, if they don't see the light in their darkness, they don't want to have anything to do with us. So the enemy is always trying to destroy the fellowship. And so John introduces the concept of the battle today in this section. There's going to be uh, three sections to this little section on spiritual battle before he gets into the meat of the letter in 1 John 2.28. In fact, if you look at verse 13 of our text that we're going to read in in a moment, he introduces the name of the wicked one, which is one of the names for this being called Satan. And then next week, and Pastor Joe is going to bring you this teaching. We told you we were going to be team teaching um, this book. He talks about the enemy using this thing called the world, the cosmos, the world system, the flesh. You know, that thing that sits on your shoulder and says, don't do that. Come over to the dark side. It's really not as dark as it looks. And then, again, another name for this one called Satan, the devil, the world, the flesh, and the devil, threefold tool of the enemy to steal our fellowship, our intimacy, our, our experience of the coming kingdom that's started now. And then, of course, in the last section uh, of this little section on spiritual battle, he talks about the ones who are, he calls them antichrists, those who kind of act like they're all that, and they you know, may wear a big hat and a robe, but they're not teaching us about the true Christ. You can be all religious, and you can be all Christianized, but if you're not talking about the real Son of God, who he really is, stripped down, not dressed up in the way we would like him to look, but the way he really looks, then guess what? John says that person is an antichrist, another tool of the enemy. They're usually slick. They're usually really, really slick. But he teaches us in the last section to learn to discern. Antichrist from those who are really telling us about the true Christ. Now, before we look at this text, I want to do something we don't always get to do, but the words that he is speaking this morning in this first little section are like his night before the battle starts speech. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The night, it's like when when the troops gather and the next day, baby, 
we're putting on the armor and we're hitching on the guns and we're going out and we might die. There have been some very famous night before the battle speeches in history. And I'm going to show you two little clips of two speeches from film history. I usually show the Braveheart clip, but you all have seen the Braveheart clip. So I'm not going to show that one today. The first one is going to test just how sophisticated you are because it's from a movie that is um, on the screen depicting a Shakespearean play called Henry V. And it's the famous speech. Kenneth Branagh has made this speech famous of Henry V as the English go off to battle, I think the French, on a holiday called St. Crispin's Day. And it's only about three minutes long, but you, you have to listen closely because, you know, the English accent, the English don't speak English like us Americans have learned to speak English. It's actually quite the opposite, isn't it? But, but we have to listen. I want you to listen carefully. Just follow it through and just feel the power of this leader giving an encouraging speech to his troops before they go out to battle. And then the second one is from the mid to late second century A.D. from the movie The Gladiator. And I'll just uh, leave you to that clip. So let's play the first one and then let's play the second one right after it. fighting men. They have full threescore thousand. That's five to one. Besides, they are all fresh. It is a fearful odds. Oh, that we now had here. But one ten thousand of those men in England that do no work today. What's he that wishes so? My cousin Westmoreland. No, my fair cousin. If we are marked to die, we are enough to do our country loss. And if to live, the fewer men, the greater share of honor. God's will, I pray thee, wish not one man more. Brother, proclaim it, Westmoreland, through my host, that he which hath no stomach to this fight, let him depart. His passport shall be made, and crowns for convoy put into his purse. We would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. This day is called the Feast of Crispian. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand at tiptoe when this day is named, and rouse him at the name of Crispian. He that shall see this day and live old age will yearly, on the vigil, feast his neighbors and say, Tomorrow is St. Crispin's. Then will he strip his sleeve and show his scars and say, These wounds I had on Crispin's day. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot, but he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. Then shall our names, familiar in their mouths as household words. Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester, be in their flowing cups freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son. And Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world. But we in it shall be remembered. We few. We happy few, we band of brothers, 
For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England, now abed, shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap, whilst any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day! stand and read John's rousing pre-battle speech in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12, 13, and 14. And this is what he says. I write to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning I write to you, young men, because you have already overcome the wicked one. Again, I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have already overcome the wicked one. You may be seated. Three things I want to share with you this morning. First, this is number one in your outline, number one on the screen. I want you to notice that John addresses these believers as their leader. He addresses them as little children, as fathers, and as young men. And I got to tell you that in history, in the history of the commentary on 1 John, there have been so many different explanations provided for why he uses these terms to describe the believers. One of the, one of the first and maybe most obvious, but I think wrong explanations, is that these simply describe chronological uh, stages in the lives of various believers in the congregation. So that he was basically saying, I've got something to say to you little children. I've got something to say to you fathers. 
I've got something to say to you young men. If that was the case, it's curious to me that he reverses the fathers and the young men. And it's also curious to me that he doesn't talk about really older folks and he doesn't talk about women. He doesn't talk about mothers. He doesn't talk about young women. It just doesn't seem to be, it's, it really doesn't fit the tenor of the entire book. So I'm going to say about that particular interpretation of these three titles, eh. all right, this is second. And that is, some commentators have suggested that he's talking about various stages of spiritual maturity that a believer goes through in life. And that, so he is, er, and so it, he's talking about three different groups of variously mature people in the body. So he's talking to a group that he's saying, you know, you're just kind of like little children. And then he's talking to a group that he says, you're, you're more like fathers and, and maybe we'd, we would say mothers uh, in terms of your spiritual growth. And then he's talking to another group that is maybe a little bit more like young, strong men or women uh, that are more prepared for battle. It's a possibility. And again, I don't think it's a, it's a really good option. It's not the best option. Uh, primarily because, again, you see the fathers and the young men reversed. Why is that if there's some kind of a progression? Um, And again, if you take the phrase little children and you look at the phrase little children throughout the rest of the book, it's always used to describe the entire community. So on balance, I don't think the second explanation is a very good one either. I think the best explanation and the one that we're going to go with this morning is that these terms describe, thirdly, the maturity of all the believers from three different vantage points as they are getting ready to face the enemy in spiritual battle. So, for example, if I wanted to say to Sue, if I wanted to encourage her the night before she's going out to battle the enemy, I might say something to her like this to try to help her know that she's battle ready. I might say, Sue, you are as tender as a mother. You are as tenacious as a warrior. You are as wise as a sage. Not talking about various stages. I'm talking about character traits that she has in herself all at the same time that equip her for battle. Does that make sense? So I think this option fits the context best. I think it's going to really encourage you as we apply it to ourselves. He's basically saying on the night before you believers, and these believers might might have been from Ephesus. We think, again, John had a connection to Ephesus. He's saying, as you get prepared to do spiritual battle with the enemy, I want to call out to you the things that I see in you that are best described by various titles. What I see in you as I look at the childlike part of you in your faith. What I see in you as I look at that more mature father-mother-like quality of your faith. What I see in you when I see the strength in you as young men or women who are warriors ready to go out for battle, okay? So that's number one, kind of a logistic, but I think if we don't do a little bit of that work, we're going, what are these titles? What do they really mean? That's where I think this lands. Number two, and this is really the heart of what I think John is saying, and it really meshes so well with Henry V and his St. Crispin's Day speech and his encouragement and with Maximus and his speech to his men before he led them to fight um, the hordes that were coming from uh, the Germanic tribes of that day. John inspires in this speech the believers by, now get this, encouraging them instead of pointing out their faults. He encourages them on the night before the battle. 
instead of pointing out their faults. Now, now John, obviously, in the first two sections of this letter, he was very challenging. In fact, last week, man, two weeks ago, you, you saw me get fired up? I mean, I was fired up. I was very fired up because John's fired up. I mean, two weeks ago, when, when John says, look, to us as brothers and sisters, either we fellowship in the light and the love of God is perfected in us so that we can kind of shine into the darkness around us. Or he says, we're all the way over here, man, participating in the darkness. We might think there's some kind of a middle space, but there ain't no middle space. Either we're walking with God in the light and, and, and receiving what he has for us and, and valuing. Remember, this is how we know that we know him, that we value his commands. It's not about sheer obedience. It's about, it's about we're focused. What he's got for us is good. We're on it, baby. We're on it. We're on point. We're about him. We're about what he says. We know he loves us. He's with us. We're there. We're in the light. Otherwise, if we kind of take this mediocre kind of, well, you know, I'm, I'm a believer, but he says, you're not in no man's land. We're over here participating in, in the darkness. So I got fired up because he got fired up. I mean, those are strong words. But he knows that many, many times we hear a lot of that kind of challenge. What we don't get much of is encouragement. And he knows the night before the battle, what the warriors need most of all is not, you know, I wish you would have learned how to shoot better, but oh well, we'll see what happens tomorrow. They don't need that. They need to be encouraged. If all they've done is like gotten six out of 10, they need to be encouraged. Baby, you're 60%, bro. Not, you know, that 40%, that could kill you tomorrow. I mean, they, you see the point. Can you see the application in the body of Christ? As leaders, we have a tendency to be pointing out all the time. You see that spot there? Well, you know, I mean, the, the spot might need to be pointed out. The spot, if it's sin, it will rot us if we don't take care of it, but... I think John's saying the night before the battle, what we need to point out to one another is the good stuff of God that we see in one another's lives. I, I, a couple of years ago, I went to preach at this church, and you guys have seen me do that father blessing prayer. Haven't you? Well, I'll pick a, a young man, usually a young man out of the body, like my brother here, and I will just come up to him, and I'll kneel next to him, and I will act like, we'll pretend that this is a night before the Jewish Passover when a father will bless his sons and daughters. I will sometimes pick out a sister, but because it's so intimate, I often will do this with a brother just because of the intimacy of the moment. And I'm, I'm not that young sister's dad, and so I'm, I'm trying to be above reproach, and so I'll often pick out a brother. And I'll just kneel down, put my hands on that brother's head and around his face, and I'll look him right in the eye and tell him as a father how much I love him and I will bless him. Tell him how proud I am of him and how much he means to me and how I'm always there for him. Remember when I've done that a couple of times? Thank you, son. I did that to a guy at a church where I was preaching, and I just, I prayed before I did it. I, I preached one time. It's kind of a crapshoot. I saw this guy, I said, I think he's the guy, Lord. And so I went out and I did that blessing. He was, he, was, he was about 260, 270. I mean, he looked like he was a retired NFL player. That's what he looked like. And I got right up in there with him, man, right up in his face where my bad breath was right up in his nose, man. Because after you preach for 45 minutes, oh boy, it's not good. But he didn't move a muscle. He sat there just like this with his big old 19-inch neck 
propping his head up on his body. But as I began to bless him and encourage him, the tears started to roll. He didn't move a muscle. The tears just rolled down his face. Got done, kissed him, hugged him, went back, finished up the sermon. Later on, somebody, as I was getting ready to leave, get in my car and drive back to the airport or whatever, somebody came up and said, I just want to tell you, that guy wanted me to tell you this. He had to go, but this was the first time he's ever been in our church. He's a, he used to be uh, of the Mormon faith, but that kind of fried him, and so he had just not been to church at all. That was the first time he'd been to church. He's 45 years old. He's a businessman or whatever. He said he wanted us to tell you that that blessing moment was the most significant moment of his entire life. Do you see much we long for encouragement? We got a call. Carla, Carla's not here today because she's really, really not feeling well. Really not feeling well. But she got a call from a close friend of ours this morning who has gone through some struggles with addiction. Brilliant. College grad, business person, brilliant, but gone through some struggles. And he said to her, he said, I wake up every day feeling like I've got this big F on my chest. You you can figure out for yourself what you think the F stands for. I mean, it could mean failure. It could mean a lot of things. But the point is kind of a scarlet letter that everybody can see. I just, he said, I just feel like a failure. I feel like everybody else is cool, but I'm the guy that really hasn't gotten it right. Do you see how badly we all long for encouragement? And yeah, we want to get it from the Father directly. I get it, but we're called the body of Christ for a reason. You know where the main source of encouragement needs to be in our lives? It needs to be right here. Yes, we have to point out the mess. Because if we don't, how do, are we loving someone well if we let them continue to run out in front of traffic, spiritually speaking, and die? No, that's not love. But do you think all they need is this? Like, hey, man, look, it <laughs> seemed like I've been telling you this for the last six weeks, but you got more stuff, you got more stuff. There's always more stuff. But what if we drank in this morning the reality that some points, we've got to say there's always more stuff. But what I think my sister needs today, what I think my brother needs today, just to be told what of God I see in them, to encourage them that they can go out and not only fight, but they can win the battle with this guy called the wicked one. Amen? So these are the three things. I want to see if you can take them in. This won't take long, but I want to give you these three. He says, first, he says, little children... Let me encourage you. He says, little children, your sins. And by the way, for those of you who are grammar types, if you, if you like language, the Greek verb tenses, you see the present tense, you know, something is happening. You see that all the time. You see the past tense, what's called the aorist tense. It's a simple past. This has happened. You see that all the time. You know what you rarely, rarely, rarely see in the New Testament is this tense called the perfect tense. The Greek perfect describes something, now get this, that has happened to us in the past that has continuing long-term effect into the present. You see the perfect. 
once in a great while. Here in this encouraging spiritual St. Crispin's Day speech, if you will, John says six times in the perfect. He says, your sins have been forgiven you and it's impacting you still to this day. They're still being forgiven today. You have known him who is from the beginning and that knowledge is deeply embedded in you today. You have overcome the wicked one and that strength is still in you today. Six times, he says. Let me tell you what I see that God has done in you in spite of all the mess. Yeah, we all have mess. In spite of the struggle, we all have struggle. He says, let me tell you what I see that God has started in you and is continuing even up until today, the night before the battle, when the enemy's going to be going, let me tell you, you are not going to die. You're going to win. Little children, your sins, and I don't know why the translations don't embody this. Most of the translations say your sins are forgiven. It's not bad. It's not totally inaccurate, but better would have been your sins have been forgiven and they are continuing to be forgiven up until this moment. And doesn't it make sense that he would say that in calling them little children? Because remember our first spiritual experience when we believe in Christ, it's called being born again. Our first spiritual experience is to be forgiven, to have our sins forgiven. When you believe in Christ, your sins are forgiven. And, and I think John knows that the false teachers who were trying to grab these folks by the throat and discourage them, you know one of the first things that these false teachers were saying to these believers? Your sins aren't forgiven. Are you kidding me, man? You're probably not even a child of God. You're not a son of God. Look at you, man. You're not a daughter of God. Look at your crap. Look at your stuff. And isn't it true that one of the first things the enemy tries to steal from us after we have believed in Christ is our security in him. Because look, how are you and I, now I don't know about you, but this is the way I roll. If you tell me that you're not even sure I ought to be a member of the team, if you're not even sure I'm on the team, then why am I gonna go out and risk my life with courage for the good of the team? If a, if a person going out into battle doesn't know that they're a member in good standing of the forces going out to fight the battle, baby, I would be thrown off my gun and running for the hills and just deal with whatever the AWOL brings. Is it any different for those of us who are trying to fight this spiritual battle? How can you get up in the morning if you're going, I'm not really sure if my sins are, how can you go out and fight? If you don't know that the blood of God's son, Jesus Christ, has forgiven us, continues to forgive us, and will always forgive us for all eternity. And there's nothing we can ever do to overcome the power of that blood. So whenever we go out to battle, in one very true judicial positional sense, we always stand as forgiven sons and daughters of the living God. Now I feel like fighting somebody. Give me that gun, man. How do you use this thing? How do you take off the safety? I don't even know, but I'm ready because I know I'm his. Some of you have been fighting with this for a long time. In my view, it's probably one of the reasons why maybe you haven't been as effective as you wish you could have been in the spiritual battle you face every day at the job, in your family, 
I wish we could do this today. We never can. In the West, it's always about time, isn't it? Always something to do, man. When I was in Africa, if you told the brothers and sisters, we're going to do this in the morning, that meant sometime before 1159. You wouldn't even say a time because it really, it's such a chilled atmosphere in this section of Africa we were in. It was kind of cool once I got used to it, once I stopped looking at my watch. I wish we had the time today for me to go around and just sit with you. And if God would give me the strength and the insight, which I don't really have, but to sit with you and just to look in your eye and say, Matt, I know sometimes you have doubts. But I want to tell you today, son, if you believe in Jesus Christ, he died for you there and your sins have been and continue to be forgiven. Don't you doubt it, son. He is yours and you are his forever. You've got what it takes to go out and fight this battle. Can you hear that today? For those of us who have doubted and if you've never had doubts, man, I want to I want to touch you. I want to I want to take some of your skin and I want to clone it. I want to drink what you've been drinking if you've never had doubts, but wh- how do we dispel our doubts with the sure word of God that tells us the testimony of Christ who died for all of our sins. Hope Community Church, you have been forgiven. Second thing he says by way of encouragement, fathers, you have known him who is from the beginning. Now, do you see how the title is going to correspond here? Because an infant, and by the way, I see David and Sarah here with Caleb. What a pumpkin, man. I got to hold this little kid the other day for so long that I was ready to call my daughter and say, it's time for number two now. It's time for number two. You've been waiting long enough. What a little pumpkin. But, you know, when I think of Ada, for example, who's, what, two and a half now? Yeah, you're Ada. Wait a minute. Your little Ada's four and a half? Oh, man, this is bad. No, this is not possible. I'm just having an old moment, you know, that's just, and I'm sure you feel the same way when you see when she was this age. She, if you watch Ada with her daddy and with her mommy, she has gotten to know them in a way that Caleb can't possibly, as an infant, as a little, uh, the Greek word is technion, technon, technion, a little child, Caleb can't possibly, but Knowing someone takes time, takes connection, takes words, takes experience. And so the author is saying, you're not just little children. Don't ever forget your little children. Your sins have been forgiven. You are as freshly forgiven as if you had just been born again. But you are also maturing. You are fathers. And I see in you a seasoned intimacy and experience with The God who is from the beginning, with the eternal God. In other words, he says, you're not just a little child. You are a veteran of these wars by virtue of the fact that I see inside of you that you know him. 
Now, I think after the enemy lying to us on the night before the battle, saying, you you aren't forgiven, you're not one of God's child, this is the second most insidious and powerful lie, he tells. And he tells this lie, especially to me, after a screw-up. I screw up and he says, you haven't grown a bit. You thought you'd grown, but look at you, man. Didn't you, that thing you did right there, doesn't that look like that thing you used to do way back there, man? You are such a loser, man. You think you know him? You don't, you don't know him. You have stayed in the infancy stage. Your sins are forgiven, but you just keep on sinning. You don't even act like it matters. You just keep on doing whatever it is you do. You don't really know him at all. I can remember one of our trips to Uruguay with Abel and Marie. We visited the church that we support in a little community called Minas. And the pastor and his wife there, their names are Isak and Gabriella. And they had been pastoring quite alone for quite some time. And if you met Isak, you would never know what was going on inside. Because Isak, you know, he doesn't speak a lot of English. And when he does speak English, it's just hilarious. It, probably just as hilarious as my Spanish, I'm sure. But um, he's a smiler, isn't he, Damon? Isak is just a smiler. He's just always around. And Gabriella is a little more fiery and a little more passionate. But, but still, uh, and a little more of a, let's tell the real story here. But Isak's joy kind of just overshadows Gabriella's kind of authentic intensity at times. But what I discerned when I was there is that in the battle, they had grown very discouraged. In fact, I think they were beginning to say to themselves, we we don't really know him. I mean, they knew the elementary truth that their sins were forgiven. I heard him say that. I heard him preach it that week. But I think they had started to say, I don't, I must not really know. If we knew him, why wouldn't we see more fruit in our ministry? Why would we be so discouraged? And I remember that day, I did not know what to preach. It's like God would not let me get a text. He would, but this is what I ended up doing. I ended up getting up, and this is what I did. I went right over to this young couple that are not much older than than Mark and Diana here. And I looked at them, and I stood right in front of them, intense Gabriella and smiling Jack Esau. And I said, this is what I think the Father wants me to say to you, my brother and my sister. I know your works, and you have persevered, and you've had patience, and you have labored for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. And he is so proud of you and the way you have come to know him and to represent that intimacy with him with others. And they sat there, heads down, tears just dropping into their laps because what they needed that day, my brothers and sisters, was a word from someone to say, you think you don't know him because you're focused on this and that spot and that lack of fruit, but I see in your life, you really do know him. 
I wish I could go around today because I know, I know what goes on inside your hearts because I'm you and you're me. We walk into church and this is what starts to happen. You start to say, where do I stack up on the scale? And most of the time because of our shame, is this not true? We are here those folk really know him. Look at the maturity. Look at the intimacy. Look at the fruit. Look at how they talk about God. Look at how they pray. I can't pray like that. Look how they sing with their hands. I'm too shy to get my hand. I must not love God at all. I want to say to you today, don't let the enemy lie to you like that. You have come to know him. Perfectly? Heck no. Me? Heck no. But I see in you, I wish I could come around and touch your forehead and look into your eyes and point out to you the ways in which I see that you have come to know him. Got a little preacher here. Had to get his word in edgewise. Preach it, son. Preach it. Is this the first time you've had? This is another loot. What's happening? What's in the water? Look at this. Another one. What's your son's name again? Elijah? Elisha. J-A-H. Elijah and Caleb. My Lord, we're reproducing the Old Testament here right in front of us. <laughs> we're going to run out of names soon. Can you, can you receive this from me today? You've come to know him. And you, and you, and you, son, and you. Mm-hmm. And you, Bill. I see it in you, Ricky. You're not the same, man. You've come to know him. Don't know you as well, but when we sat down here and prayed the other day, and after we prayed, I looked at you. I could sense you are beginning to know him. You have a heart to know him. Doesn't that make you want to get the gun and rush out into the battle if maybe one of the captains of the team sees in you that which you and I can't seem to see in ourselves and that which the enemy tries to steal from us so that he discourages us to make us think there's no way we're crossing the line into the battle. Can you hear from me today, Hope? You and you and you and you and you, Catherine. Yeah, you and you, Sylvia Latoya. You've come, Thomas, to know him. Third, last thing that he says. Young men, you have, perfect tense, overcome the wicked one. Again, doesn't this category make total sense? Strong young man, strong young woman, they're taking their strength into battle. But don't, don't you know that even, haven't you ever watched a war movie? Fresh troops especially, man, they're like, they're having an accident in their trousers the night before the battle. And wouldn't you and I, if we knew what was waiting us? But even veteran troops, 
can sometimes be saying, man, I, I escaped by the skin of my teeth the last time. I don't even know how I got out of that mess without taking a mortal wound into my body. And we have doubts, don't we? Will I run? Will I betray my, my little squad? If push comes to shove, if one of my soldiers, fellow soldiers get shot, will I go and rescue them or will I retreat? Will I have the courage to really stay the course through the whole battle or will I hide behind a tree? Will I forget how to shoot my gun? Will I, will I win or will I lose? Do I have what it takes? You know what John says? He says, let me tell you what I've seen. I've been watching. You have right there. See it right there. And by the way, did you see it right there? You have already overcome the wicked one, Barb Hughes. 11 months sober. Today, that little trapped thing around your ankle came off. And as the enemy says, well, now that you're free, wonder what you, now that you don't have to blow into a tube, what, can I tell you what you're going to do? You're going to win the battle because, Barb Hughes, you have already overcome the wicked one. Look at your life. You're strong, man. Look at those biceps. Look at that. Look, check that out. Lisa, you, you were on my mind literally this morning as I wrapped up studying this text. I know you're facing a lot, but I want to tell you something, sister. You have, holy cow, you have already overcome the wicked one. You have what? It takes for the next stage of the battle. Don't you let the enemy lie to you. The word of God says to you through John the apostle, the Ephesian church, down through 2,000 years of history to little old me today who is some kind of an older brother shepherd in your life. You, I'm telling you the truth. You have what it takes because you have overcome the wicked one. You hear this? I want to go around to everybody and tell you, but if you could just somehow feel me right now, Clarence and Stephen, the, 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 the two twins that aren't twins standing right here. By the way, if you've ever wondered, if you've ever called Clarence, Stephen, Stephen, Clarence, Stephen's here, Clarence is here. They look alike. They, they kind of smile alike. You guys, man, I've seen the growth. You've got what it takes. If you follow Jesus Christ, because you have overcome the wicked one. I got to wrap this up. I got to say one more thing. And this is number three. And I, I not, I'm not even going to take time to, there's a couple, everybody has asked. Here's, here's what the blank is. John repeats his encouragement. And everybody in, in commentary history is going, why does he repeat there's just as many questions about the repeat as there are about the terms little children, fathers, and young men to begin with. And you'll notice that he doesn't repeat just the same encouragement. I'm not even going to get into some of the finer nuances of why with the little children he says something further about them and encouragement. And with the young men he says something further. But with the fathers he just repeats what he said the first time. Let's save that for another time. Here's what I want you to hear. This is what I think this final, the final word of the morning is. And that is that John repeats his encouragement 
we can never, ever, ever get enough encouragement. The hotter the battle, the more encouragement we need. If I had a situation A today, tomorrow situation B. Encouragement from situation A is not going to function for situation B. So know this, Church of Jesus Christ, on Marlboro and Jefferson, what you can count on. Every brother and sister in this house needing this morning from somebody is a word of encouragement or two or five or 20 or a thousand, and they'll need just as many tomorrow. And so will you, and so will I. Amen. Now, let me just say t- two more things. I, first, just a personal illustration. The other night, I went and spoke at Michigan State. And look, I'm a grown man. I'm 58 years old. I, I know a little bit about what life is at this point. If not, you ought to fire me if I don't know a little bit about what life is supposed to be. Spoke to these students, this pretty large gathering of students. I say that because the larger the group, the less I can sit here and I can know whether Lil is falling asleep or not. Okay, and if she's falling asleep, I can go, man, I must be missing it. Or Lil is just the Lord's talking to her in her own private prayer language or something. I don't know. But when it's a larger group, you just don't know sometimes how you're connecting. You really don't. So I gave what I had, and I went back. And once I get done speaking, and I don't get to do it much here because we, we need to be together, but I need to get away. I need to get away, pull a cover over my head, and hear the Father talk to me, his son. If any of you speak publicly, you know what I'm talking about. I got to get away. So I, I got away. I went over behind in this big classroom, behind this wall, and I just kind of put my head up against the wall. And I was just, I was just honestly, I was just repeating like the Jesus prayer. Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Father, Father, I need you. Father, now come to your son and wrap me up. I got naked out there in front of these folks. And and I'm, I'm, I'm vulnerable right now. The, I'm vulnerable to the enemy. Just be with me. I Just be with me. You didn't know that, did you? But that's the way, that's the way it goes for me. All of a sudden, I feel this, these arms around my back. Some big guy about six foot four puts his arms up around me and hugs me tight. And he whispers in my ear before I can even know who it is. He says, I just want you to know that when I get married and when I have children, I want my kids to see me like I see you because I think I see Jesus Christ in you. And you know what my flesh did immediately? Dude, you don't know me, man. You don't know me, man. You heard me speak, but you have no idea what kind of crap I wrestle with every day. But see, it really wasn't about that. Didn't we establish earlier on? We all wrestle with crap every day. It's about the fact that in the midst of that, in the midst of the 40%, we need somebody to remind us of the 60% of what he sees of God in us. That's what that brother was doing. And I got to tell you, with that word of encouragement, man, I pulled my head back off that wall. I did one of those things like on Grimm, you know, you know that show, the Grimm, when they do like that and they're... They come up with something. Anyway, if you haven't seen that show, you don't know what I'm talking about. But it's like, you're ready to rock. And I went out and sat with wounded students until midnight, praying and blessing. Don't know if I would have had it in me because that was battle, battle for lives in pain. Don't know if I would have had it in me if not for that brother who took it upon himself at the age of 22 to encourage this 58-year-old man that he sees Christ in him. 
could unpack this for another hour. Why don't we encourage each other more? I think, unfortunately, it's because of the shaming voice of the enemy that so often tells us that we really aren't even worth encouraging someone else because we don't have our own stuff together enough. Can I just tell you, that's a lie. Do you think I turned around to that brother the other day and said, now look, before I receive this word of encouragement, I'd just like to ask you, have you been on the internet today doing something you shouldn't have done? I just thought, whatever, if God can talk through a donkey, he can talk through that young man to encourage me and he can use you to build up this community so that as we go out into battle, we have all the encouragement that we need. Amen? Put put the big idea. This is what I want for our community. I want us to be like this. John readies his troops for spiritual battle primarily by encouraging them about who they really are and how much they have truly grown, not by challenging them with who they are not where they're failing. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen.